0: Welcome to Climate One, a conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. To understand any of them, you have to understand them all. I'm Greg Dalton. Today we're poking into the world of hydraulic fracturing or fracking. The rapidly growing technique has unleashed a drilling bonanza in the eastern and southern United States. In California, fracking has been done for years to squeeze more oil out of conventional wells. Now the rapidly expanding technology could be employed to access shale oil deposits of 15 billion barrels, about half the amount originally held in Alaska's North Slope. The prospect of a new oil boom in California has sparked a lively debate about the state's energy future. Advocates say fracking is safe and it can boost California's economy. Skeptics say government oversight has been lax and risks about freshwater supply contamination must be addressed. Over the next hour, we'll discuss fracking California with our live audience at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco. We're joined by four people deeply involved in this debate. Bill Alliot is California Director of Governmental Affairs at the Environmental Working Group. Steve Craig is former Director of the Vantana Conservation and Land Trust and an Olive Rancher in Monterey County. Mark Neckadam is Director of California Department of Conservation, which oversees the Department of Oil and Gas Resources, the main regulator of, uh, the industry in the state. And Dave Quast is California State Director of Energy and Depth. Please welcome them to Climate One.
1: Thank you.
0: Uh, Steve Craig, let's uh, begin with you. And I want to ask you briefly how you came to uh, be involved with fracking or how fracking became involved with you.
1: Uh, Fracking came to us in Monterey County uh, really rather suddenly, and we began to see it in two ways. Um, The first way was people began to come to me because of my background in land planning asking about what a mineral split estate was and how come the oil company that owned the mineral estate could eject them from the surface of the land. And I, it was immediately piqued by the issue. The second thing that happened is a fracking well went up about 15 miles from our ranch, right on the Salinas River, lacking any of the protections that even our wineries were required to have in place. So... It was firsthand from angry people looking for an explanation for what was happening to their surface rights and a fracking well, which is a a 24-hour-a-day, all-night-long, bright, noisy operation, which out in the country uh, upsets people.
0: And we'll get into more of that shortly. Uh, Dave, am I saying this right, Dave Quast? Yes. Okay. Uh, Dave Quast, tell us how you came to be involved with uh, the energy industry and drilling and fracking.
2: Well, I've been working with the energy industry and other industrial, um, <clears throat> other industrial industries for, for a number of years as a consultant um, and recently started working with, a couple of years ago, we started working with Californ- in California um, with Energy In-Depth, which really is an education and research organization just trying to make sure that facts about hydraulic fracturing, which has been so much in the public consciousness and has generated so much concern, um, are out there.
0: Okay, uh, Bill Alliode, uh Ten years ago, environmentalists probably didn't even know about fracking. It's come on very quickly, very strong across California and the United States. An environmental working group, uh, tell us how you uh, came to uh, re- regard fracking as a as a serious issue.
3: Sure. I'm stationed in Sacramento doing the uh, working on flame retardants, BPA and baby bottles. But our staff back east was kind of ground zero for fracking, working on Pennsylvania and New York. When I saw the movie Gasland, I said, Michael, are we doing that in California? I haven't heard of it. So I went where any citizen would go. I went to the Division of Oil and Gas's website, a public agency, see what do they say about this. I couldn't find anything, really. So I met with them and said, I've I got this paper here that says there's interest in fracking for gas in the Sacramento Delta area. This was Occidental Petroleum. And they told me that's hype from uh, from the oil companies. Don't, don't believe that we don't need to frack for gas because it's too cheap, it's too red, readily accessible. But Environmental Working Group dug deeper, and within weeks we found out we've been fracking for oil in California since 1953, Los Angeles, that most wells in Kern County were being fracked, uh, new wells are being fracked in Monterey County and Ventura, Santa Barbara, offshore, and, uh, fracking for oil. That was the difference. So we went to a kind of a struggle with the Division of Oil and Gas about why they were denying this, and this went on for a year, and, but we developed, uh, legislation and started moving it through the legislature, and that's when things really, uh, started opening up in California, and the, and the public got involved, legislators got involved, and eventually we got our state regulatory agencies to say, yes, we frack here, and we want to do something about it.
0: And we'll get into all that in just a moment. Uh, Mark Nucketum, you came to the agency uh, at a time
4: when – well, tell us how you came to the agency and and a little bit of background about your entry into this. Sure. Well, I was minding my business as a federal climate scientist in Washington, D.C., and actually a senior advisor to the Secretary of Agriculture on climate and working on the federal climate bills. And the Department of Conservation began having some real trouble with the permitting process, And that's when the governor... They were trying to slow it down. They were trying to do some things that really need to be looked at very carefully, but kind of all at once. And the governor became quite dissatisfied with them and, as we say in the business, thanked them for their service and uh, called me in Washington and asked if I would be interested in leading the department into a more kind of responsible and time series, uh, time step work on oil and gas. So were you brought
0: in to accelerate or expedite gas and oil permitting?
4: I wouldn't put it that way. Uh, Basically, we have a regulatory uh, role, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. It's really more how do you manage a department that has oil and gas, mining, land conservation, the Williamson Act, and the Geological Survey, and do it in a way that is uh, compatible with what the industry needs to do to change in in an orderly pace, but not necessarily being in in the pockets of the industry. Obviously, we're regulators. We don't work for the industry. And let's get a baseline of how much fracking is
0: happening in California. Where is it happening? This is all very new. Uh, and Bill Alio just said that it kind of implied that the, the government was sort of uh, not transparent or covering up how much fracking was happening. So how much is happening and where?
4: Yeah, I, I would say that covering up would be a bit of an overstatement. Uh, in fact, Bill did, I think, very well. Uh, come to the department before I was there and asked some pretty hard questions. I believe, from my understanding, is they were answering a different kind of question than you were asking, and it looked like cover-up was happening. In fact, the Division of Oil, Gas, and Geothermal Resources has not to date required reporting of hydraulic fracturing. Uh, the reason is, is hydraulic fracturing is one very short blip in a very long life of an oil well. And it can be one of many, many things that are done for production stimulation. So in our historical use of fracturing in California, we had no evidence that there is any environmental damage or hazard to human health, no evidence, I'm saying, and therefore we had not required reporting. Now we are requiring reporting, and we are in the middle of developing a regulation for that.
0: Let's step back and look at the big picture here. I mean, uh, potentially California has half as much oil as the North Slope in Alaska. So here, that's a pretty big change to think about California as a major Oil producer and presumably an exporter, unless we're going to burn all that oil uh, in state. Let's uh, get, like to get the, everybody involved here. Dave Quast, you know, that's a fundamental change for California as a major petroleum state.
2: Well, it is. And we've been a major petroleum state for, for a number of years, and the governor's indicated strongly that we want to continue to do that. And the way to get oil out of deep shale formations, for example, in a lot of cases is hydraulic fracturing. But you touched on something earlier. I mean, California, because of its geology, hydraulic fracturing isn't used here on the percentage of wells, even close to it, as it is in the East Coast. And um, we'll talk about water use and some other things going forward. But there are a lot of things that make California a bit different. So, um, you know, hydraulic fracturing is definitely, as Mark said, it's 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 you know it's a one- or two-day thing that happens in the life of a well, but it is an important part of the life of some wells. And, um, you know, it's been done safely. It will continue to be done safely in a more regulated environment now. And um, we should all be excited about that given the potential uh, potential economic benefits and environmental benefits of developing our oil onshore. Are you saying that onshore oil is better than offshore oil? Is that what I'm saying that onshore oil, developing it under a very highly regulated um, regime, is much preferable to importing it from Venezuela and from places that don't have environmental
1: protections. Yes. Uh, sure. Steve, Craig? Just a quick follow-up question to that. What is the quality of the oil that's been withdrawn in California? Because what we're told by Chevron at San Ardo, at least in our area, is that this oil is not fuel grade. It's often used for asphalt, asphalt tile, mastics. Does California have fuel grade oil prepared, ready for refinement? Uh, the short answer would
4: be the short answer would be yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, California's oil, depending on what part of California you're in, is a higher specific gravity. That is, it's a little denser and therefore is less accessible in some places than it is in, say, Venezuela or in the Persian Gulf, where you have light, sweet, crude, which refines more easily. But California does have quite a a resource of usable oil for fuel.
0: Bill Elliott, California has been a leader in climate policy, trying to decarbonize, uh, the economy and promote renewable fuels. And here we have the prospect of California being a major ex, uh, petroleum uh, in, uh, state. Help help us understand that. Does that, is California schizophrenic in that regard, or mm-hmm. is that going to undermine California's climate leadership?
3: It's, that's a good question. Let me follow up on the last statements made by Mark and Dave, though, on we didn't accuse the agency of covering up. We said they turned a blind eye to it. They never okay. explained why. They just said fracking, that's just a well stimulation technique. And it may last for hours or a day or two, but we're concerned when you inject water under pressure with toxic chemicals, with threats of above ground spills, well casing failures that could pollute groundwater, all that you don't just say that's eh, a well stimulation technique. We trust the industry to regulate themselves. No, bad idea. That's why we push Dogger and using the legislature to do that to do something. Dogger about it. Dogger is the
0: Department of Oil and Gas Resources. I use yeah. the
3: acronym. Yeah, Division of Oil and Gas to uh, to do something about it. Now on energy policy. Um, you know, the, the all, all of the above is sort of what uh, Jerry Brown's doing, although he's not a proponent of nuclear power for sure. And as is President Obama, we think uh, that that's a mistake. That well, I was around in 1973 and 79 when the Arab oil embargoes took place, and uh, my and one my 1980 something Honda Accord got better miles per gallon than today's Honda Accord. So why is this? Why did the U.S. sit on their hands for 40 years when we knew? Oil from the Middle East could be cut off, and the CAFE or the fuel efficiency standards were barely bumped up over this 40 years. I think that's not the way to go. And also, utilities are blocking distributed generation, which is basically solar on everyone's roof. Why are they against that? Why aren't we pushing that and energy conservation all the way before we start trying to get every last hydrocarbon out of the ground in California or any other state? So. um Let's get
0: a little bit more here on that. There are opportunities and there are risks. Uh, uh, Mark Nekadim, let's get you on sort of there's this potential tremendous resource in California that could be exploited, uh, yet it has tremendous carbon consequences.
4: It, it is true. Uh, You're a climate scientist, after all. so um, And I worry about that very much. Um, but from the, the uh, perspective of what the resource is, uh, California has long been the fourth largest it was for a long time, the third largest oil-producing state in the country, Uh, It's something that most Californians don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the reasons that most Californians don't know is because the industry actually does operate in a very constrained environment, highly regulated, and you don't hear a lot about major accidents or um, spills, et cetera. Uh, And it's not because people are covering it up. It's simply because it's a highly regulated industry in our Department does uh, have a number of engineers on the ground 24-7, 365 days a year. So um, it is a tremendous resource. I think one of the fundamental fears, and everybody talks about the Monterey Shale, which is not in Monterey, by the way, um, but the big, the big concern is there's 15 billion barrels of oil down there if we can just get at it, and we're going to turn the entire Central Valley all the way to L.A. into something like Williston, North Dakota. And that really is a land use and development choice that California has all of the tools and all of the ability to protect farmland, to protect urban development, to do land use decision-making at the local level. Um, It is not necessarily, or certainly my department doesn't control land use decisions, but I think California needs to think very carefully about what are the potential impacts from another boom, which California is very
1: famous for its booms. Steve Craig, you've lived this. Hey, I've got to give some pushback to that. With all due respect, what we have learned is that the Halliburton loophole has basically opened this huge gap. Explain it, what that is. The Halliburton loophole is a, an exclusion for fracking technology, whether it's acid injection, chemical injection, or any other injection. And incidentally, those injections occur at 8,000 PSI at the surface of the wellhead. It excludes it from the Safe Water Drinking Act. So when we saw a fracking well go up on the Salinas River where we turn off to our ranch, first we call uh, the Army Corps of Engineers. They're, they're drilling within the stream bed. It's covered by a 401 permit for the Clean Water Act. Couldn't get them to respond. We called what was then the California Department of Fish and Game, now Fish and Wildlife. Where's the streambed agreement? No, no response. We couldn't even get anyone to come out. The county, which had approved this fracking well, the board, I hate to say, actually felt that Dogger controlled the whole process. They don't. Dogger is only responsible from the wellhead down. So all of the process that occurs outside that context, the trucking in, the damage to the transportation index of the roads from the heavy materials, the storage of chemicals, the, the absence, the complete absence of any kind of surrounding protection in case there's a spill, right on the river. No response from the, from any agency. And we called the local regional board in San Luis Obispo. And the answer we got was a very interesting one. Well, you know, the Safe Water Drinking Act loophole has really created a problem for us. We don't really know whether we can act because it sort of overlaps with the Clean Water Act. So we never got any action on that well. And it was drilled and drilled and drilled. And we couldn't get any action from any agency to to address any of our concerns. And just to clarify, this is a a drill rig in a stream bed for oil. In the Salinas River, Vinoco is the company that did it. And therefore, from that point forward, the locals organized and said, okay, we will appeal every well that these people are going to drill. And that appeal process was successful. Basically, Vinoco withdrew. But my, my concern is, and I'll... And I'm sure I'm echoing what, what Bill has to say is everyone's been asleep or confused about how to regulate this issue. And as a member of the public, all I can say is, you know, farmers are generally short-tempered about a lot of things, particularly water. And when something takes a million gallons per frack and you've got three wells on a pad, uh, it upsets people. And there was no regulation anywhere. We couldn't find it. Steve Craig is an olive rancher in Monterey County. Uh, Dave Quast,
2: yeah, can I just speak to the water use issue really quickly? Because this is another area, much like um, much like the geology issue, where it's much different in California. There are frac jobs in the east that take millions of gallons of water. Um, the Western States Petroleum Association has said that in California, the average fracture of a well takes 116,000 gallons. Now to put that in perspective. An average golf course in California uses 320,000 a day. So all of the hydraulic fracturing that happened in 2012 across the whole state used 202 acre feet of water, as opposed to 27 million acre feet in the agriculture industry. So it's it's a blip, and it's 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 very it's, it's another reason it's very different here. And so the water issues and the other issues that we're going to face. Um, Seismicity, things like that, you know, we have to look at from a California centric perspective and we have to figure out what makes sense for California as we do these regulations.
3: Bill well, We're compounding the problem that Steve was describing in Monterey County is when he called the Division of Oil and Gas, or doggers as we call them, they didn't know about this well. They didn't require a permit or anything for fracking. They said, we don't know about fracking, just go do it. And so they weren't, they have regulations about well casings, but no regulation about fracking. So they didn't really say anything, and then making matters worse is an oil company, if it doesn't produce, become a producing well, the oil or gas comes out, then they have to report it to the state. They can do what's called a confidential well status for up to four years on that well. So Venico's wells in Monterey County, I think three refract, and other wells that are exploratory by definition, we won't see what was done there for many, many years. They can keep it secret. On water use, uh, it's more like 500 to 1,000 to a million gallons per well in California. I'm not making that up. Those are the numbers from the Division of Oil and Gas who told us that, that the average well is 500 or so to sometimes up to a million in California, not 100,000 or so.
4: Mark Neckertum, how much water does it take to frack in California? Um, much less. Uh, David is much closer to the number. Uh, we actually did a calculation on the ones that were voluntarily reported in California from 2010 and found that the total usage was about 8 million acre feet. Uh, there's another part Voluntarily of it, I mean it's like, yeah, we use this much, right? I mean, no, uh, our oil and, <laughs> our oil and gas, there's no gotcha here, Craig. Um, no, there, our oil and gas supervisor basically, since we did not have a regulation in place and we could not require operators to report, mm-hmm. But we did ask once we got a real sense of the scope and scale of public concern. I mean, I got here 15 months ago, and within 60 days of my being sworn in, I was before budget hearings in which I was being told that my department had essentially blown off the legislature because the legislature, in its clear understanding two years earlier, had said, go develop fracking regulations, and they had not been done. We had done a number of other things, but we had not done that. So I got a quick wake-up. Our first uh, our first action was, first of all, we want all uh, operators in California to voluntarily report their FRAC jobs on FRAC Focus, the national website that's maintained by the regulatory agencies. Um, WSPA, the Western States Petroleum Association, immediately went out to its membership, and they said, well, sure, we'll report all of them as far back as 2010. So they asked them to do that. We will be, in our regulation, actually requiring all all frac jobs to be reported. But in terms of water usage, let me put something in a little bit of perspective. This is quite a shocking number for most people. First of all, most oil production in California is really water production. You're running a really good well if you have 80% water and 20% oil. It's more normally 95 to 97% produced water or brine water that's in a geological formation and 3 to 5% oil. So in the state of California alone, 120 billion barrels a year comes up out of the ground, Gets the oil skimmed off the top and goes back into the oil into the former formations as reinjection. So that's about fifteen and a half million acre feet, which is three times more than we we move through the delta for Southern California, five million acre feet, and it's fifteen and a half million acre feet of produced water that's not usable for anything but reinjection. That's the proportion we're talking about. So a few hundred thousand gallons of water that may be produced water, recycled, or it may be fresh water, depending on the economics of it, is not a lot of water use. However, I completely understand why Californians, especially, should be very diligent about how we use water. Whether it's for toilets or fracking, we should be paying close attention to how we use water.
0: Uh, especially in a climate era where there's projections for less fresh water in the state, declining Sierra snowpack, there already isn't enough water, we're in a drought now, or entering a drought, uh, water constraints in the future,
4: what's the wisdom of entering into, further into a water-intensive energy posture? Well, one could ask what's the wisdom of work, of developing water-intensive industries like silicon chip development, which uses an enormous amount of which, water. Which most of which has left California because partly because of that reason. It's very expensive, $3,000 an acre foot to clean up water for that kind of intensive use. But the question of water policy, I think, is a very important political question for California. What I'm a little bit nervous about is that the Department of Conservation and the Division of Oil, Gas, and Geothermal Resources is being held accountable for a whole bunch of things that are not in our jurisdiction. And I absolutely forbade my staff and my department when I got here from saying, you shall, you shall not say it's not my job because we are public servants. So if it's not our job, our job is to figure out, Steve, what happened there that you couldn't get good government to respond. And that, to me, is a deep concern. Uh, I I get very, very concerned when the public feels like we are somehow ignoring them or blowing off
1: their concerns.
4: We should be paying attention. We are public servants.
1: But I think the the Steve Craig, the way to clarify that is to eliminate this loophole. I think it's important that the regulators uh, and you are, I guess, our chief regulator for this issue, understand the need to close that loophole and to return the Safe Water Drinking Act, Clean Water Act, and all other standards to make them operable again. I mean, as a, as a person who is entirely reliant now for my living on clean water, it is critical. And, you know, when you mention the reinjection of 60% of what comes back in, is, is re-injected water that is full of chemicals that no one has to disclose. Not to you. Not to any of us. And and I get irritated, as you can probably tell, when, when we're put in the position as members of the public to carry the burden of trying to force regulators to ask the right questions. And... At this point, we don't know what's in fracking fluids still. We have some idea. And you have people, uh, some of whom we heard earlier, say, fracking, no problem. How can you even know if it's a problem if you don't even know the contents of the chemistry? And, you know, I'm not a scientist anymore, but science, I know, is a search for truth. and That means you disclose and if you undertake an industry that affects the public commons to hide behind the trade secret, which is for chocolate bonbons and and special ways to make good champagne, it's just wrong. It's not fair to the public to hide behind that trade secret veil and expect expect us to live with it. Um,
0: I mean, Dave they, Glossier, as yeah. energy voice here, what about transparency and disclosure of the, of the chemicals in the fracking yeah, fluid? Yeah,
2: the, the industry absolutely supports transparency and disclosure of the chemicals. And, you know, as, as Mark said, has been voluntarily supplying those things to frack focus and going forward absolutely wants to work with, um, work with Dogger to ensure that um, there's full transparency so that the public can feel, can feel confident that they know what's in um, fracturing fluid. Um,
1: and will you also do the epidemiology to determine how many and what combination of those chemicals actually causes human harm. Uh, I will say this.
2: Um, the fluids that are used in hydraulic crushing, again, 99.5% water and sand, with a few other chemicals, most of which are found in food products and household products. In, in Microns, of, you know, very very small, um, very very small percentages in terms of um, in terms of the overall fluid. Yes, those should be disclosed, and the, the industry is very much in favor of that. There's no hiding behind a trade secret veil. The, the regulations that Dogger has proposed are very much like the Colorado regulations, for example, that were just just passed. The Environmental Working Group. I, I, I think the environmental working group, certainly Earth Justice, a, a number of environmental groups were instrumental in writing those regulations, which include normal standard trade secret provisions. And they were lauded as It's groundbreaking, and this is the way we we can protect the public and have transparency and still allow the industry to exist. And almost identical regulations are being proposed here in California, and they're being attacked because it's a convenient thing to do for political reasons. But everyone recognizes, I think, reasonable people, that there's a need for industries to maintain their trade secrets. One of the main reasons that industries have trade secrets is so they can improve their processes. I mean, I work with people who get up every day thinking, how do we do this better? How do we do this safer? The reason that you innovate in fracturing fluid is to make it, even greener. That's the major innovation that's going on at the companies that are making fracking fluid. So in order to do that, you, you know, you can give people the leaven herbs and spices of Kentucky Fried Chicken, but you don't have to give them the actual recipe that's in the safe.
0: We're Dave, Dave Cross Dave, Dave is California State Director of Energy and Depth. Other guests today here at Climate One are Mark Nakedem, Director of the California Department of Conservation, Steve Craig and Olive Rancher from Monterey County, and Bill Elio, Director of Governmental Affairs for Environmental Working Group. Bill Elio, is transparency currently sufficient for fracking in California?
3: No. Well, first of all, let's be clear that most of the stuff they put down in terms of chemicals are not things you eat. Uh, guar gum, carrageenan, or some of the things they use, but they use a lot of toxic things. Things that would be are listed under Prop 65 in California as something that may cause cancer or reproductive harm. Uh, the Western States Petroleum Association told me right away when we started this process a couple years ago. They wouldn't associate themselves with a ban on Prop 65 chemicals being injected. They said, you know what? We inject a lot of them every day. So uh, even though we've heard Halliburton has developed a green fracking fluid, now they're holding us over our head. We won't introduce it in California unless we get trade secrets on it. Well, my understanding is they aren't using it much anywhere, and there's just maybe hype about this green costs more. fracking fluid. Yeah, it might. But uh, I've got a feeling that Chevron, who uses uh, Halliburton to frack for them, says, give us the good stuff. Because we want an efficient, well-fracked well, which is benzene and xylene and diesel fuel or whatever, not carrageenan or stuff you can drink. I think that's what's going on. And as far as the trade secrets go, we want transparency. I thought I heard Mr. Kwas say a few minutes ago, we were for full transparency, we'll do full disclosure in California. We'd love to see that. Uh, Dr. Mark Zobach of Stanford, who's a consultant for the industry and very well-versed in this issue, is calling for that. He said there shouldn't be trade secrets on these fracking fluids. There's dangerous stuff. And why is the industry trying to hide behind them other than its competitive edge, which they hide also their use of fresh water and other things? So as they move out into these frontier areas in Monterey County and 11 counties have the Monterey Shale Formation under them, we think transparency should be number one. Regulation by the by the government and transparency is part of that or is the primary thing we're looking for and the safeguards that go along with the regulation. Mark Nekadam on transparency.
4: I think it's a terribly important issue, and um, I I don't think anybody's trying to hide behind trade secrets. What they're trying to protect is essentially competitive information. It's intellectual property rights, and it's common throughout U.S. patent law and California's Uniform Trade Secrets Act. Um, I do think, though, going back, to Steve, to a comment you made a while ago, somebody, some group of somebodies, has to be responsible for doing the environmental toxicology and the epidemiology on any risk, whether it's exposure, risk, hazard, et cetera, the standard kind of hierarchy. And uh, if the Department of Conservation becomes the recipient of trade secrets, we are obligated by law to turn them over to anyone who asks for them under the Public Records Act. And that's what the whole struggle over trade secrets is about, can those be delivered to somebody like the Department of Toxic Substance Control, which does a lot of the analysis on Prop 65 chemicals, for example, um, or OEHA, which is a unit of the Cal EPA, and I can't remember what the acronym I think it's the Office of Environmental Health and Hazard Assessment. Um, but they have hundreds of Ph.D. scientists whose job is to look at these various things. We have a bunch of oil and gas engineers and geologists and if you turned over the trade secrets, we'd all stare at them stupidly, saying, "Well, I don't know what this means." So it, it would not be meaningful for us to have it, but it would be meaningful for somebody to have it.
1: And in the meantime,
4: in the meantime, we're going to continue
3: production fracking. of oil and
1: gas and fracking. That's what it comes from the top, from the leadership.
3: Mark, at your at your confirmation hearing before the state senate a couple months ago. Uh, the President of the Senate, Daryl Steinberg, said to you, uh, fracking fluids, and he held up a can, are, is not Coca-Cola. I see a big difference here. Coke has this competitive advantage in the secret formula locked away somewhere in Atlanta, Georgia, but he was saying that fracking fluids are being injected through groundwater with a casing around it that is being, you know, stored essentially thousands of people below the surface, some could escape, so, he was drawing a clear distinction between Chanel number no. five Coca-Cola and fracking fluids. You know, I, how would you respond to that today?
4: Um, well, I'm not going to use the analogy of Coca-Cola again, that being one of the more painful <laughs> moments in my recent life. Um, but I will say that one of the premises behind this is if you do not accept the premise that trade secrets are important to competitive behavior in an industry, that, among other things, has the result of fostering innovation and fostering lower prices or lower cost uh, to consumers. If you don't buy that premise, then the trade secret discussion is actually not very useful. But if you do buy that premise, then the question is, how do you put in the safeguards that allow some other, whether it's the FDA or some other trusted third party, to analyze the use of chemicals Fracking is actually one of many thousands of different industrial processes in which we use incredibly dangerous chemicals, and we regulate the use of those incredibly dangerous chemicals through disclosure processes. It seems to me perfectly possible, with the right statute and the right regulation, that we should be able to protect public health and safety. And as you know from that hearing, Absolutely number one priority for me, and I swore on it, and I signed a letter to Daryl Steinberg for this, is public safety, environmental health, and public safety shall not be superseded by any other interest, including trade secrets. Mark Nekodem is director of California's Department of Convers-
0: Conservation. We're talking about fracking in California at Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. Are there any known cases of groundwater contamination by fracking in California? No. Bill Bill Elliott?
3: There are not, but one reason we believe is because no one was looking for it. We've been fracking for 50 years in California, 60 years almost now, but no one really knew we were doing it except for the companies themselves. They weren't required to monitor. So did some escape a spill on the ground, above ground, through a well casing failure? And the industry admits their well casings do fail. It's a lining of cement. Uh, over time, maybe a farmer found didn't know he had benzene in his well, and he was watering his plants with it. Uh, maybe someone got it in a public water supply and didn't know benzene or something. And no if it wasn't, if it was, you know, if no it was found,
0: was I mean, if, if if it was found, would it be able to be traced? How would people know where it came from? Well,
3: we'd like to see strong regulations that make them disclose the chemicals they're bringing onto the site, the chemicals they use, and have groundwater monitoring before and after the frac job, so that way someone would know this is them and maybe even have a specific trace or a fingerprint for that company's fracked job. Also important, we think, is public notice to the surrounding property owners that a well is to be fracked or even drilled so they could say, you know what, all at my expense, test my groundwater, and then later if something shows up, I would have the proof, so to speak. Uh, and we think the, the, the notice should go to individuals with a, an, an envelope you get in your mail so you know. I had a great case a couple of win- uh, Christmases ago, where a man in the Sacramento Delta was frantic. They're fracking a well, and he called me up. Turns out they weren't fracking the well, but I didn't think it was fair to him to come to his house on the weekend and see an oil well being, a gas well being redrilled actually, and not have notice. You get notice that someone's building a two-story house in a one-story zone, so why not give someone notice that they're going to frack or drill a well that's next door to you?
0: Dave Krost, on the point about uh,
2: companies measuring water, or perhaps tracers and notification. Um, you know we're working alongside of, of Dogger and alongside everyone concerned to as the regulatory process moves forward, and we're open to we're open to discussing all of these things. But to get you back to your question about has there been um, groundwater contamination or inv- adverse env- environmental impacts in California? The answer is of course no. But not only that, I mean, Lisa Jackson, Ken Salazar. Um, Scientists, regulators from the states and the federal government have Mark Zoback from Stanford have conclusively said that there has never been a single case, proven case of groundwater contamination from hydraulic fracturing anywhere in the country. Just be perfectly clear. Uh, That usually gets applause because that's good news for most people.
0: Well, according to ProPublica, there's been a thousand cases
2: documented of uh, hydraulic fracturing. Not from. No, those are from. We just
3: call it from fracking the release of methane until someone's water boils with methane or can light their water faucet on fire. Contamination from caused by fracking. Not
2: necessarily. In New York State, you can let your water on fire.
3: Oh, you can. Yeah. Naturally, I understand there are cases you can, but people had wells fracked. On their property or nearby, never had a problem until the well was brack phased, or a couple of weeks later, they have a bubbling up, their well water is discolored, and they're lighting their faucet on fire. When I started working on this in, in, the, in the legislature a couple of years ago, someone from an oil company, I don't have to name him, said, that whole thing was staged in and You could see the, the butane tank under the sink. I said, not so. I think these are real stories. So why are you denying it? But that was what the industry did for, still, some of them deny, deny, deny. I, I'm, I can say here in California, the Western States Petroleum Association has been cooperative in trying to work on regulations. I mean they have their bottom lines and lines they draw on the sand, but they are trying to work with us. They're not denying, although they will say we've never caused contamination. Well, I mean Steve oh, Craig,
0: let's get to Steve Craig. Are there any problems with this this well you
1: talked about in this in the stream bed, in Salinas? Any problems with that? I think the problem is it's the wrong question. I, I think the question shifts the burden to the public, which has no access to information. And the contamination or non-contamination of California as it presently stands, we know for for a fact in our area that we have mercury contamination in one of our two agricultural reservoirs. It's so high that you can eat one fish per year and you will exceed the federal limit. How can we be asked, as a citizen body, to... Produce any information at the local level when we we don't know what you're using. We don't have the list of chemicals, so how do we know what contamination has occurred? And the industry is perfectly capable of doing this and doing it right. It's if they they must stop resisting it. Chevron, for example. We're not resisting It's on
2: fracfocus.org and we support disclosure now. so I don't, well, I don't know what the industry is resisting. You can go to FRAC Focus right now and find out any well you want in California exactly what's in the flow.
1: What I was going to say was that there is a, a steam injection operation in San Ardu, California, which is in the middle of Monterey County. Chevron runs this. They provide a full range of quarterly reports to the public of everything that they're using in their system, Everything that's in the water downstream, upstream, and in the aquifers. And I don't understand why we can't do the same thing with the combination of chemicals used in chemical injection, acid, and other fracking. And I think the resistance, it, it isn't coming from the people. It, it's coming from people in the industry. You can and say
2: there's resistance all you want, it doesn't make it true. Well. I and mean, it just doesn't. There isn't any. It, From Mark Nekodem,
0: can there be more transparency in terms of there's already a lot of disclosure going on? How about
4: the fracking fluids? Absolutely. Um, Both as a citizen and as a regulator, Mm -hmm. uh, it seems to me that as much transparency as possible across, not just in the oil and gas industry, most people don't know where their water comes from. Most people don't know where their milk comes from. Most people don't know where their gasoline comes from. I think it's terribly important, and fracking happens to be the fulcrum point right now by which a lot of people are learning way more than they ever expected to know about how oil and gas is produced in California or elsewhere. I think that's terribly valuable. And for me, as a regulator, it makes total sense to have complete disclosure as long as we are respecting the intellectual property rights of those who are
1: trying to competitively operate in the industry. Even if it comes... What happens when you have a conflict between intellectual property rights and what we call the commons? Public safety Air, wins. Air, water... Public safety wins. Okay. Well, that, there is no exception. not what the
3: industry is saying. They're saying, a body, we will say trade secrets. Let me ask, no, we'll, on a can of Coke, you can't see the exact formula because that's secret, but you do see the ingredients. Would the industry object to listing all the ingredients? There's benzene, xylene, guar gum, and all that, but leave out the exact composition So that a neighbor or a farmer would know, this is what went down in that well. No trade secrets. No trade secrets.
2: Dave Well, no. I mean, as Mark, I think, so eloquently said, we need to make sure. I mean, public health and safety always come first. Trade secret law in California there's nothing different going on in California than there is in Colorado or there there is in other places. Is not designed to get in the way of of public health and safety. Trade secret law has mechanisms to protect it. So, of course, it's. Public safety comes first. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to disclose trade secrets in order to protect public safety.
3: I'll take that as a no. You're not willing to just list the chemicals A through Z. <laughs> Mark
4: Nicodem? Yeah, let, let me clarify a little bit, because this always raises people's hackles and makes people fearful. Um, Bill, you just, I think, put it about right, and in fact this is Halliburton's uh, current proposal for the disclosure of trade secrets. If you imagine a simple four square. In one column, you have essentially the ID of the chemicals used. In the other column, you have the percentage of the chemicals used. On one row, you have hazardous chemicals. On the other row, you have non-hazardous chemicals. If you disclose three of those and not the percentage of the hazardous chemicals being used, which are often the things that make your special juice competitive, but you disclose everything else, what's being used, And even the percentage of non-hazardous material, they're fine with that. What they don't want to give you is the recipe. They're fine showing you all the ingredients. They just don't want to show you the recipe. We're talking about fracking in
0: California. Our guests are Mark Nekadem, Director of California's Department of Conservation, Dave Quas, California State Director of Energy and Depth, Steve Craig is an olive rancher in Monterey County, and Bill Elliott is Director for Government Affairs at the Environmental Working Group. I'm Greg Dalton. Uh, I want to come back to uh, water, and then we're going to go to audience questions. Um, Is this going to compete with other uses of water in the state, Steve Craig? Uh, you're a farmer, worried about water supply. Here is a new water-intensive industry. How is that going to affect uh, water uh, supply and demand in California?
1: Here's, how it's, here's what's happening, and I, I'm, I'll be absolutely honest. There are two public reservoirs built by public dollars, the Nascimiento and the San Antonio. Those reservoirs were designed and allocated to replenish the Salinas River and to prevent any seawater intrusion in the Monterey Bay. Guess where the latest BLM fracking sale was? Where those two streams of water, which are public waters for agriculture, come together. And I think a part of this discussion that we've had today, both the first hour and the second hour, one of the things that's missing is the issue of, of the mineral estate that most farmers have underlying their land. When when the United States government disempowered the Indian nations and took their land, they also took their mineral estate. So there's a huge mineral estate in the western part of the United States. And these are being purchased by foreign companies. The Chinese National Oil Company, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, Sinuk, has purchased about 45% of the Marcellus and Utica shale through its purchase of Chesapeake energy. We can find ourselves in this weird situation where we have a Chinese-owned mineral estate shipping gas and oil to China, since they have a controlling interest as soon as they want to exercise it, to be used in airplanes to bomb Americans. There's no logic to what's going on with the mineral estate. In Monterey, the mineral estate that's been purchased for right at the location of this latest BLM sale is owned by Australia. I mean, where is our sovereignty being protected in your processes? Are you aware of this? Do so you, you ever, even know?
3: On on freshwater use, it's a huge concern. We're entering a fifth out of six years of drought in California, and about 1300 AD we had a 120 or 140 year drought. Who's to say that couldn't happen again? I urge the listeners and viewers of the Commonwealth Club presentation here to look at a story in the high country news from about two and a half years ago called Oil and Water Don't Mix in Kern County. And it was done by a freelance reporter, and it talked about how water in the droughts get cut back to the residential users. You know, don't flush your toilet. You to know, pay more for the water. The farmers were cut back. But the water cut point of the oil companies, and how much they were using, unknown. They have to report what Mr. Nekadam said, how much they pull out of the ground and produce and re-inject. But how much they're taking from the state water project, from the Kern County water agencies, we don't know because they'll say it's intellectual property, it's competitive business. We don't want our, you know, Occidental doesn't want Chevron to know. We think in this uh, water-poor state at times, like we are now, that everyone ought to know, if I'm being cut back in my house, shouldn't Chevron be cut back in Kern County?
0: Let's have our audience question. Let's invite audience participation. We invite you to come up here um, with one one-part question. Uh, welcome to Climate One. Yes.
4: Thank you. Hi, Jesse from Oakland. want to thank you for the show. I love your show. This has been really interesting. There's been a lot of talk about transparency tonight, and I was thinking about transparency in terms of the guests that you bring on to your show. Uh, I noticed that you – introduce this guest over here uh, from Energy in Depth. But in fact, Energy in Depth is nothing more than a front group for Exxon, BP, and the Independent Petroleum Association. And the guest from earlier, Mark Zwobach,
2: was introduced as a Stanford professor, and yet he's also a highly paid consultant from one of the largest oil and gas companies. So I'm wondering, what's your obligation, Greg, as a host, to
4: disclose what goes into your guest's paychecks?
2: Let, it's, it's up to, to that. Did I not make it incredibly clear that I work for the gas industry? Did I, not, he, did I make it abundantly clear that I work for the oil and gas industry? If not, then I didn't do that. Yeah, He's That's here because he's the industry voice. Yeah. That's why he's here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when I heard energy in depth, it sounds different than the American or the
4: Independent Petroleum Association. Who's behind that? But Okay.
0: Okay. So, point taken. I mean, he's here because he represents the industry. Uh, earlier we had uh, yeah, other people who also represented the industry. That's why they're here. Commonwealth Club Forum, Climate One Forum is often to have a business voice, an industry voice, a policy voice, an environmental voice, sometimes science advocacy. That's what the little circles on our logo are about, coming together to have all those people to, to, uh, to talk about and get the different perspectives. So, thanks for that. Uh, let's have our next audience question. Let's have our audience question. Welcome to Climate One.
2: Hi. Yes, Forrest DeGroff again. As I mentioned, I'm not familiar with fracking. I'm a little bit new. But what occurs to me is what are the disadvantages to t- trade secreting the fracking fluid as opposed to patenting the fluid? I understand there's a big difference. You get a 20-year life of patents.
5: But in the United States, you can pretty much evergreen those patents. So you can extend them over a much longer period, notwithstanding the India Supreme Court ruling yesterday. So if
2: you could just outline some of the advantages of patenting the fluid, which in which case you'd have to reveal the components as opposed to trade secrets. Thank you. Dave Quass. Honestly, I, I don't know enough about patent and trademark law <laughs> to be able to okay. speak intelligently to that. I'm sorry.
0: Uh, we can address that one offline if we have a, a patent expert. Welcome to Climate One. Let's have our question. Yes, hi.
5: Hi there. Thank you, um, Carol De
4: Benedetto. I asked the same question to the last panel, and I'd like to hear, if possible, your opinions. Um, what, I'm going to preface it by saying, why do why does the government and the people have to finance this kind of analysis? So, what do you all think about having the companies that make the money at doing this? them be responsible for figuring it out. So if they want to do trade secret, open open that up, great. Like, basically say no to fracking, let them figure out a way to, to get the public and, and everyone to agree that it's going to be regulated correctly, funded, you know, regulations will be funded correctly, enforced correctly. How about that?
0: And I'll just mention for all of us here that, that we're recording this separately, uh, so the references to the previous panel, people won't know what that is or hear that, so we'll kind of treat these as standalone. alone So uh, the question is, how about the industry paying for some of the oversight, as happens, uh, Mark Nekodem, in, in some other industries?
4: Um, well, what the questioner just described <coughs> is the law that's been in place for about 75 years, the entire division's $38 million budget is funded on an oil and gas assessment, and it's basically on a per barrel or per thousand uh, cubic foot of gas. That assessment is changed every year and established by law by the oil and gas supervisor, who is my division director. And we basically tell the industry, this is what you owe into the oil and gas administrative fund. And then we go to the legislature and we say, we need this much to run this part of the department, and they essentially allocate that. So there's oversight of the allocation, you know, the authorization and the allocation of that money.
3: It's a, it's a time, timely question, too. I believe a Senate Bill 4 by Pat, Senator Pavley of Los Angeles current legislation in, in Sacramento uh calls for a study and it says it shall be can be funded through this very mechanism. So I think the answer is the legislature is looking at that right now. Let's get some studies
1: going and have the industry fund those studies. Steve Craig, one very brief thing to add to that. Uh, California has an Environmental Quality Act. Before any project can be implemented, there are opportunities to study it. The problem is it depends what county you live in, whether it's done diligently. If you live in Kern County, it might be skipped entirely. If you live in Santa Barbara, Monterey, it's done very, very thoroughly. So there is plenty of law available for review of the above-the-ground consequences. Uh, we've talked about new allocations for below-the-ground wellhead, but there's plenty in place. The, the problem is the citizens don't force their local governments to do a good job. And, and it is a matter of forcing them to do a good job because many of them take political donations from gas and oil. Well, I, I, am
2: glad to hear the, I am glad to hear there's an appetite for having industry fund studies because, of course, the industry funds a great deal of studies and has for decades. Um, there was recently a study of, and we don't need to get into the details of it unless you want to, but of the Inglewood oil field in Los Angeles um, a hydraulic fracturing study. Um, a peer-reviewed um, done by Cardinal Antrix, and the study was funded by court order by the industry. And that was, of course, the number one talking point of activists after the results were released and found no adverse impacts from hydraulic fracturing as well. We can't trust it because it's funded by the industry. So we, we can't really win on that score, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that might be changing.
3: I mean, so no. you're, you're criticized if you don't fund, and if you do fund, yeah. people don't trust the results. Yeah, but No, no the, 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 this trust of it is twofold. One is that the peer review was by someone who works for the industry, a consultant in the industry. Secondly, uh, PXB, the company that did the study for one of their wells, had well casings down to the very bottom of the well. That is not normal. they normally just encased to the, uh, below the level of uh, usable groundwater. That was the distrust from the people in Los Angeles. Not a press conference, it
0: let's, uh, let's have our next audience question. Welcome to Climate One.
3: Uh, hi, thanks for uh, giving up your time. Um, um, Howard Fallon. With the globalization of the world's economy, we're looking at the failure of nation states basically. Uh, the corporations don't pay tax anymore. A- Apple pays nothing. They move all the money offshore. And as a part of the parcel of that, they've captured these regulatory agencies. Obama just signed the Monsanto Protection Act. So, uh, all this talk about regulation, what, how is that going to happen? We have failed. These corporations own this place. They're running the show. They're the owners now. Bill uh, Elliott? Um, that's a, a good point, and let's not forget, these are the most powerful corporations in the world. Just the last two quarters of the last year, Exxon and Chevron reported profits, profits not revenue, between 7 to $10 billion per quarter. So, they're big, they're powerful, they're making a lot of money, they're invested all over the world, but Our concern here in California is the state agency up to the regulatory job. We maintain they've been a little too cozy with the industry all these years. They weren't getting scrutiny from environmental groups. They basically worked in the field with Chevron Occidental for 80, 90 years, and suddenly it's a new ballgame for them. And uh, we have new leadership there. I think he welcomes the scrutiny and is trying to do something about it. but. Uh, we have some level of distrust as to whether they're up to the task. The draft regulations they floated in December weren't very good, and we're concerned about them, so we're pushing harder to get better regulations out of them and to end the relationship that they've had and start to say, we put the public first, not Chevron first, and who we work for. Mark, I
4: think to add? Um, having been already indicted, I think I'll pass. Thank you. <laughs> That's our next question. Welcome to Climate One.
3: Thank you. Uh, thanks for being here. I I just wanted to ask, we've been talking a lot about uh, water quality, but I wanted to ask about air quality. Um, unfortunately, Los Angeles is the poster child for never being able to meet the National Ambient Air Quality Standards. And um, there's been case studies about how in Wyoming and Montana, places that have been um, heavily hit by the fracking boom, their air quality is worse than Los Angeles on smoggy days. And so... Um, talking about possibly fracking in the Central Valley where we already struggle with air quality, I wanted to see um, if the fracking boom would have a significant impact on the air quality in California and how that would basically affect the economics as well because
1: um, health problems are very costly.
3: We'd like to tackle air quality. I'll do a start here. Uh, one of the saddest days of my life was going to the Wind River Range in central Wyoming and seeing the gas wells there, and the level of ozone is right. The question is right. Is this higher higher than Los Angeles? It's one of my special places to go visit in the world, and it's hard for me to go back there now to see the air pollution caused by hydraulic fracturing of wells, gas wells. Here in California, air quality is somewhat decentralized. There are air quality districts. The Los Angeles district is really going after fracking strong and doing their own rules and making sure things are okay. I've also looked into the San Joaquin Valley, Kern Kern County, where the air quality is bad. The local air district there is on top of this too, I believe, looking at pipe fittings, the fugitive emissions of of, uh, both pollutants developed by the drilling process and also from leaks in pipelines. So I think we're okay there, but if there's a fracking boom, if the Monterey Shale plays out, if the oil companies are able to get into this formation in great quantity, it's a, it's a big concern, just because when you drill a well, there's diesel emissions, uh, as there's could be leaks, truck traffic to and from, so we need to take that into account, we can't just go blindly, we need the energy, we have to go forward, there's jobs involved, air quality, we spent a lot of money and time, we all drive cleaner cars to clean up our air, it'd be terrible to go backwards.
1: Steve, Craig, Just the one thing to add, and it's probably not going to make you feel very well, uh, and that is... As citizens, you have to work very hard with your local governments and your local air quality management districts. Come to hearings, uh, write letters of appeal. Unfortunately, the, there isn't a state agency that is actively involved in above the ground wellhead issues about tracking point source emissions. It's done on a AQMD basis. So participate in your California Environmental Quality Act process for new developments. Keep your eyes out if you are a resident of a rural area because they are coming. And the only people that can stop them, really, truly, are the people themselves. And the law is there to insist on good point source regulation, good scrubbers on any fugitive admissions. So it's a lot of work. But it's, it's important work, and you're a good citizen if you do it.
0: Steve Craig is all re- olive rancher in Monterey County. Let's hear from uh, Dave Quass with the energy industry. Steve?
2: Well, on, on that, all I would say is I'm a parent in Los Angeles with four kids, so you know I care a lot about the air quality, at least down there. And uh, you know this is among the among the environmental issues that people are talking about, air quality, water quality, reduced seismicity, things like that. Um, and Dogger, I, th- I think it's safe to say, is working with, with other regulators to ensure that whatever we do end up with is comprehensive and it's robust and that it, it covers all of the concerns that citizens have as long as it's based on sound science. Uh, you know, and that's what we care about.
0: We're talking about fracking at Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. Let's have our next audience question.
5: Great. Uh, thanks so much. <clears> the <throat> question is uh, in regard to, I don't know if any of you have
1: seen the uh, short film, The Sky is Pink, which is the follow-up to Gasland, and in there they make allegations that uh, industry studies' internal reviews show that over something like 15% of well casings fail within the first year and over 50% over seven years, and that basically to protect the
4: groundwater, they need to never fail. Um, And I just want to know if anyone had any
1: response to that as far as whether that's true or, or has any information whatsoever regarding that.
4: Mark Nekodem, how often do uh, wells fail and cause problems? We don't keep direct statistics on that, but I can say that when – I know there's a chuckle on that. You'd you'd think we were not paying attention at all. But, in fact, what we do require is any well casing failure. First of all, it it is no benefit whatsoever to an operator to continue to work a well that is broken. It actually is a money loser. Uh, Secondly, if you have a well casing failure – uh, you must report it, depending on the type of failure, to the Division of Oil, Gas, and Geothermal Resources. We have the ability to instantly shut down or what we call shut in a well if we believe that there's any kind of compromise to the environment or public health and safety. Has that ever happened? It has. Uh, you know, Failures happen. It's a big industry. There are over 250,000 wells, 70,000 operating wells in the state of California. With those kinds of numbers, you're going to have some mechanical failures. But we are very diligent about that. And as a matter of fact, Bill began to point this out. Uh, Since I've been here in 15 months, we've actually increased the number of engineers in that division by 40 percent. And we have boots on the ground. And we have, as I mentioned earlier, uh, engineers who literally sleep with their cell phones because they have to be responsive to any kind of failure or upset. I read a
0: statistic that there are 56 enforcement officers in California for 54,000 wells. Is that about right? One officer for about 1,000 wells?
4: I haven't done the math like that, but that wouldn't
5: be untoward. Okay. Uh, Let's have our next audience question. Uh, My name is Buck Farmer. My question is related to the last question, actually, Uh, and you – referred to fracking previously as this momentary, sudden event that takes place. And I assume you're talking about the explosion that takes place a couple of miles down, maybe a couple of miles out along a horizontal pipe in order to open a gate or open holes through which this fluid then is pumped at, at huge pressures. And we hope that there's no leak around the casing so the stuff doesn't get up and get into groundwater and all that. If the wells are at risk over time. How long is the period when fracking really goes on the business end of fracking, that is the pumping and the creation of this huge pressure? Uh, How long do we have to live with that in a well that we know is at risk of falling apart and deteriorating over time, and how can that be checked? How does the well owner or the operator know that there's some little leak that's letting this terrible stuff get into groundwater? That's the horrific um, event that we want to avoid at all costs: the something. groundwater being polluted.
0: So, Dave Cross, something wrongs going on under the ground. Who knows and how?
2: Uh, well, I
5: mean, you know, the
2: scientists and the engineers that are working on the wells hopefully know. And the process, hopefully, is heavily regulated. I mean, one of the one of the things with well integrity, for example, because I mean, it's. It's an industry that has a great safety record, but of course, it's not perfect. No industry is perfect, so that's why it's one of the most heavily regulated at the federal and the state level of any industry in the country. So you do have problems, and you mitigate those problems according to regulation. And if regulations need to be strengthened or need to be modernized, um, then you do that. But as Mark said, I mean, there are certainly um, there's certainly apparatus in place to uh, to deal with a lot of the problems that that transpire without without causing any any damage that goes beyond the well.
0: Dave Quas is California State Director of the Energy in Depth, an industry organization. Let's have our next audience question. Welcome.
1: Hi, my name is Daisy Pistiline. Um, We've seen from fossil fuel extraction across the country and the world that without a doubt there are always failures. We saw it recently in Arkansas with the pipeline spill. We've seen it with coal. We've seen it with natural gas across the board. Um, In 2004, Congress passed a very small fee on coal mining that created a trust fund for communities that had impacts from coal mining so that those communities would then have a fund to actually do reparations and clean up the environment when such things happen. What do you guys think about creating such a fund here in California or nationally? We have the Energy Security Trust Fund the president's talking about, but that's not addressing these kind of environmental impacts.
0: And I believe, isn't there Mark Nechadum? Isn't there uh, a per uh, barrel fee in California for offshore oil uh,
4: cleanup and prevention? That's correct. Um, and and in fact, that that fund is actually overbalanced at this point, which I think we can consider a good thing. We're not using the money, but you're on to the right concept in public policy: uh, polluter pays. We've often run from that uh, run uh, from that assumption. <clears throat> Um, But I think also uh, there's a larger issue here of the distribution of risk and the analysis of risk. And our job as state regulators are to work with industry and with other public interests to figure out what are the relative risks here. Are we going to have a $20 million fund for something that might happen once every 40 years? I don't know if that's a logical thing or not. We do have the Price-Anderson Act. For nuclear power, that basically shifts risk from the industry to the public. That was a big public debate about 40 years ago. That's the way we set it up. So risk is a public policy question as much as it is economics.
0: Before we wrap up, I just want to ask a the possibility of some technology change. Fracking itself was something that wasn't seen uh, t- 10 years ago. Is it possible, uh, Bill Eliot, that there could be waterless fracking or fracking with seawater or some other kinds of technology that would address the water supply and contamination concerns?
3: Sure. Things are changing all the time. Back east are now fracking with methane gel and to stop using as much water. Here in California, we haven't even talked about tonight, the use of hydrofluoric and hydrochloric acid injected under pressure to dissolve. The matrix of the rock to allow oil to come up. It's called acid matrix stimulation. Apparently that's working better in the Monterey Shale formation, which we talked about as being under 11 counties in the state. So what will they come up with in five or 15 years? We don't know. We want the state to be ready for these technologies, to regulate them heavily, to be on guard for any well casing failures, to know where those failures occurred, let us know, let the public know, let the neighbors know, because the industry holds a lot of the cards here. They know a lot more than uh, the Division of Oil and Gas does. They know what's going on underground and what's happening. So we can't just rely upon them to say, you're all safe. And last word is,
0: will the development of Monterey Shale happen? Will California exploit this 15 billion barrels of oil, uh, that is newly, newly, uh, recognized?
2: I mean I, think it, oh, I mean, I think it'll happen cautiously. You know, the reason that there's not 15 billion barrels of oil being Pumped out the Monterey Shell today is because we can't be economically extracted. So it's a it's a misnomer to think that tomorrow we would see you know three percent unemployment and we would see all of the all of the other impacts that would you know, positive and negative that could come from you know a, a rapid a rapid deployment of this. You know the industry needs to collectively figure out figure out the best ways to, to, to do this. And the, the Monterey Shell is not being terribly um, developed right now. You know I mean there there's some development, but it's not a huge it's not a huge play at the moment.
0: We have to end it there. Our thanks to our, our guest today. Dave Kost is California State Director of Energy and Depth. We also heard from Mark Nekadim, Director of the California Department of Conservation, Steve Craig, former Director of the Ventana Conservation and Land Trust, and an olive rancher in Monterey County, and also Bill Eliot, California Director of Government Affairs at the Environmental Working Group. I'm Greg Dalton. Thank you all for joining Climate One today.